Hey, I'm Steve Barsh, managing partner of Dream It Ventures, streaming from Philadelphia today in a, a very strange time. I'd like to welcome Jeff Moore. Jeff, welcome to Dream It Live. Thanks for coming in today. Well, it's quite it's quite the adventure in our in our current world, but I'm glad to be here digitally. Uh, you're in Philadelphia, and I'm in I'm in the Los Altos Hills, California. I was going to say, right? So you're just outside Silicon Valley, I guess, near Stanford. You said, right? Yes, exactly. You know, your life's work has focused on market dynamics and and disruptive innovation. You've had so many great books, Crossing the Chasm. I think over a million copies sold across multiple versions. Yeah, amazing. How many? How many? Is it been translated into lots of languages as well? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how many, but more than a dozen, I believe. Wow. Uh, I think well over a dozen, actually. It, earlier in my career, I remember reading it. Somebody had suggested I read it, and I still remember to this day one of the definitions, right? It was about market segmentation. What's the definition of market? Now, I think I read the first version of it, right? And in the first version, I don't know in the later ones, I didn't reread it, but it was like, look, if you're HP and you sell an oscilloscope, if you sell it to a mechanic, that's one market. If you sell it to a cardiologist for EKGs, that's a different market than the mechanic that does timing. They don't talk to each other. They don't cross-reference. Those are two independent market segments. I mean, I still remember it that clearly. It's just such an awesome, awesome book. And if people haven't read it, it's as perfect today as it was when you first wrote it. So well, thank you. Uh, thank you. Awesome. And latest book is Zone to Win, right? Which yeah. came out last year? It, no, it came out in 2016, I think. Uh, so it's been out for a while. It's the same, it's about the same journey that you make in crossing the chasm, but instead of being a venture-backed startup, now you are an established public enterprise and you're trying to fund this thing out of your own operating income and dealing with the public markets. It's, it's, it's the same journey, but it's a very different problem. Wow, okay, interesting, interesting. So amazing background. We're gonna jump in in a minute to today really about provocative selling, but can you just let people know, and I'm kind of curious myself, where do you focus your time and energy these days? What, what keeps you most busy? What's your favorite things to be working on? Yeah, it's great. So so my business card says author, speaker, advisor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the I, I write a LinkedIn blog and I uh, you know have the books, of course. Um, the speaking, uh, not this year. I mean, it's been quite a part of my, of my, uh, of my uh, world prior to the last, two months, but but not for the foreseeable future. Right. So more time on advising, and I split that between my role as a venture partner at Wildcat uh, Technology Partners, which is a, a venture-backed uh, organization, early-stage uh, investor, mm -hmm. and with larger companies, uh, Salesforce, Microsoft, Intel, companies like that. And the, the larger company stuff is around zone to win, and the startup stuff's around crossing the chasm. Got it. Very cool, very cool. So if you're just joining us, our guest today on Dream It Live is Jeffrey Moore. We're gonna be talking about provocative selling. It's something that every company and startup should be thinking about today. Before we get into that, I just wanna ask one audience question. If you can put this in the comments, if you're streaming with us from LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, if you can put down with one first question, what sales methodology are you using today? So if you're in the audience, are you using challenger sales, problem solution selling, consultative selling, be really helpful for us to know Put it in the comments. Later, we're gonna bring those comments, compile them, and bring them back into the discussion. So great if people could hit that now. So let's jump in to the, to the meat of this, Jeffrey. So back in 2009 or so, you co-authored the Harvard Business Review article, right? In a downturn, in a downturn, provoke your customers. So, you know, in that article, you wanted to provoke difficult sales. So before we dig into it, just at a high level summary, two or three sentences, what's this all about? that all you're 
conventional lead generation, pipe gen, sales motions, going qualifying for budget, all that stuff gets significantly deferred as people are trying to figure out what they're going to do that with their own budgets in their own world. And so to get through and actually have an impact in that time, you have to build a different relationship with the customer. Mm -hmm. and, and basically the provocation based selling was saying, look, there's a way to break through the noise and but you have to be addressing problems that are immediate to the customer and you have to bring a fresh point of view to them and a fresh relationship to the, to it, all of which is is not shocking, but it's new for your systems and it's new for your people. Got it. Got it. So what, what, was there any event or something? Sometimes people have a moment, whatever it may be. Maybe you're out for a jog. What what provoked you, prompted you to write it at that time? Like, where did you even come up with the idea? Yeah. So if you look at provocation-based selling, isn't all that different from crossing the chasm selling. It's just that you're doing it uh, at a time when your customer is giving you the doubt of the benefit instead of the benefit of the doubt. And so you really have to re-earn the right to have a relationship and a conversation with a customer. Mm -hmm. And so we were looking for something to break through this sort of semi-permeable membrane that the customer is using to separate themselves from from any sales call because they're just saying look this is not the time and you need to find a way to break through that got it okay interesting do you think the COVID 19 pandemic is similar to 2008 or 2009 i know it's early days but yeah it, it i think it's just it's I think the biggest difference is that COVID-19, you know, we've been talking about digital transformation for the better part of this decade. Right. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to drive it. And so so in addition to the challenges of a downturn, which I think are similar, mm -hmm. we also have this challenge of going from physical to virtual right. and, and, and doing digital interactions, which is a second motion. I think it's going to make it more challenging. Right. And I think people are more exposed expecting to have a digital engagement. Right. So I, it'll be interesting to see. If the good news about digital is you don't have to get on a plane. And, and I mean, you can calendar a digital you know, call pretty darn quickly. Right. Uh, the challenge is going to be getting the invitation and getting it accepted. Yeah, and do you think work from home is going to be a trend now that I'm just kidding? <laughs> <laughs> well, for the next month, it's, it's definitely going to be, in my view, uh, at least out here, I, we've said April 7th is a, is a goal, but I don't think April 7th is going to be real. Okay. Uh, but I do think probably by the end of April might be real. Got it. And so, uh, but that's a long time to speak to your spouse and stay on speaking terms. Exactly. So <laughs> as we talk about, we, we're going to dig into the, the details of profit provoking customers and um, provoking the sale, right? Who's the audience for this? Who should be listening and paying the most attention? Is it is it large companies, startups? You know, who's this for? I, th I, mean, I think it's people who are, look, I think it's probably unlikely to land new logos during this time. So I think, first of all, it's probably companies that have enough of, an, of a customer base that you can think about going back to your existing customer bases. Because I think to start a brand new relationship now is pretty challenging. Right. Not impossible, but but challenging. Right. I think whether you're a startup or a big company, I don't think that that matters. Because in both cases, you still have to earn the right to reignite the conversation. Right. Interesting. You know, interesting to mention that. And Dreamit and what we do, we work with so many entrepreneurs from around the world, help them raise funds. A lot of times, just to get your reaction to this, we talk to startups that when you're raising capital, remember, you're selling. You're not selling your product, you're selling your equity in your company and treat it like a sales process. Think about it that way. And how are you trial closing and closing the sale and that type of thing? And I just wonder, like you said, 
you know, maybe you're not going to get new logos. Like we see a lot of our startups that are going back to existing investors. Let's do a bridge round. Let's top off. Yeah. I'm not necessarily, yeah. some will. I know a number of dreaming companies are bringing in new investors even today, but a lot of them are like, let me sell, so to say, my existing investors. The same yeah. Type of thing. yeah. yeah. It, it, it's just very tough. I mean, I mean, if you're not committed to the company already mm-hmm. and you're looking at the volatility in the market, it's just like, I don't even know what market price is, right? I mean, right. You know, normally venture price is built off of some discount or the market price, right? right. Uh, but 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 if you, the public markets are going to be so volatile, uh, it's very very hard. But if you're already committed to the company, okay. then you say, well, look, we we kept reserves because, for, among other reasons, for in case of a downturn. Right. So so most venture companies that are responsible are doing that. But what they're going to say is, guys, in this new we need to see you cut your burn rate. We need to see every dollar is a really precious dollar. You can't just go on with business as usual. Mm-hmm. If they don't make the adjustment, frankly, they lose the company. You don't have a choice. You get creative. So from the audience question we asked earlier, what sales methodology to use for the people that replied, it looked like about 50%, about half said they were doing consultative selling, 25% empathy and 25% challenger sales. So yeah. 50% consultative, 20 quarter empathy, and, and 25% yeah. calendar sales. Where do you find they fall short in times like this? Well, so first of all, I think all of those things are, are part of the notion of, look, we're no longer pushing products. This is the age of the customer. We need to connect to the customer. So everybody's kind of getting that. Um, I think the challenger sales is very close to provocation-based selling. Challenger sales methodology came out just after the article on provocation-based selling. And so I think that they're very similar in spirit because, again, the idea is to bring a provocative, a challenging point of view, a provocative point of view to the customer. The challenge with consultative and empathy selling without a sharper point on it, yes, it will be received by people that you you have a relationship with, but it doesn't drive a sense of urgency. Right. And in a downturn, it's really important that you create a sense of urgency. And what you're trying to do is actually create budget, or uh, well, redirect budget. The budget is there, mm-hmm. but first of all, the budget is being husbanded. Right. And, and second of all, it's it's currently being allocated just to existing things. And what you really want to do in a provocative ba- provocation-based sale is say, guys, there's another way to think about the challenges you're facing, particularly now in a downturn, but it requires a moving your investment from here to there. And we're there, and this is what this is our thinking. Well, that requires interacting with the budget owner, the executive that yeah. owns the process, right. and getting them uh, uh, you know, bought in, and then you have to figure out if you can actually close go forward. But getting that executive to say, I am willing to reconsider repurposing my budget, right. that's a new thing. So when you're repurposing the budget in a downturn, all of this, do you feel that it applies to products? You know, if you're selling products, I'm selling services. Does it apply to both, or where doesn't this approach apply? I think it applies to both. I think I think in a downturn, people are easier to buy services than products because they're they're kind of immediate. You know, when you buy a product, to some degree, you take responsibility for getting the value out. Mm-hmm. When you buy a service, it's like, no, I don't. No, you're me the value and if you don't bring it i'm not going to pay for it right? right so i think even if you're selling a product i would sell a services led offer mm-hmm. where, where it feels like i'm getting a service even if part of that service is installing and running your product got it got it okay cool um um next audience question if you could how has your team adjusted your sales strategy today again if you get a chance put it in the comment section if you're on youtube with us or linkedin or wherever you are put in the comments 
How has your team adjusted to the current environment and your sales strategy? And we're going to weave that in in just a couple minutes as we talk with Jeff. So Jeff, let's break it down step by step. So budgets are rapidly evolving. We're just going to say eroding. I don't know. Evolving, I don't think it's correct. They're, they're going way, way down. So how do you learn to be provocative? What, what, give us the steps and we'll break it down together. Sure. Okay. Well, I, I think I think first of all, you've got to build a new relationship with the customer. Some the, that consultative empathy style style of selling is absolutely prevalent at the beginning, mm-hmm. but you need to create a an occasion for them to rethink the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's the provocation, and the provocation says you need to put yourself in the in the shoes of the basically the CEO or the board of directors or the you know, the executive team of your target company Mm -hmm. and ask yourself what are they going through in this downturn that is new Mm -hmm. and and how how can i help them intervene for example what we were doing back in 2009 was something we called the leaky pipe provocation so the leaky pipe provocation was you know you guys are trying to hunker down and save all this money but you've got a bunch of systems that are leaking you know value all the way through and as a result if you don't fix the leaks in your pipe, you know you're going to be losing a bunch of money when you should be making money. And so that would that that worked rather well with people who had kind of supply chain issues at that time. I think right. I think today's a different a different provocation would uh, type of provocation would be needed. But you've got to tell a story that resonates with the economic buyer, who's the executive responsible for the financial success of the enterprise. Right. And say, guys, you know. We we've been we've been looking at your sector, and by the way, this is typically targeted at a particular market segment. The way you were describing market segments, but the idea is, you know, healthcare would be different than than you know uh, cell phones. Sure. And, and so, and in your industry, we see some challenges that are not being ad- you're trying to address. You're kind of bandaging the problem. We think we have a different way to you know tackle this problem that will be dramatically better. Right. This is what this is. First of all, is this a priority? And then second of all, okay, if it is a priority to address, let me describe to you what I think we can do. Let's figure out that if this really does make sense. And if right. it does make sense, then let's put together an intervention and we'll sell our product and services into your company and fix the problem. So I just wanted to slightly restate that. Like what you just said, that classic problem solution selling is like, you have this problem, here's our solution. You're kind of like, invoking and digging out these problems that, again, that's the provocation, right? I didn't even realize I had the problem because I remember the first time I read this article years and years ago, and it just, it so glaringly came top of mind over the last couple of weeks. And again, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. It was that idea like you need to plant something deeply into someone's mind where they wake up at 4.30 in the morning and they can't get the problem provoked in their mind out of their head. It's, it's fair. the version of the leaky pipe now. Yeah. So I think it's around digital transformation. And I think what people are waking up and realizing is, well, I knew I was going to have to go digital sometime. I was going to take my time. Now we're working from home. I'm 100% digital. I've been thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool. Right. And my processes aren't set up for this. We don't know how to manage this way. We, and, and so if, if I were provoking you, I'd say I, I would call that to your attention. Right. But then I would bring to you an intervention which says, okay, and here's where we think we can, we can change that dramatically in the very short term. Okay. So if I'm working with my sales team, if I'm a startup or a bigger company, right? So are there some classic, and maybe you used them before, but maybe we could bullet them out, right? Some questions that should be asked to help identify critical issues faced by customers. Like, is there a little methodology step-by-step? 
I, yeah, yeah, but I think it's before you ask questions, because I would say this, if you start with questions, now we're back to solutions, problem, solution, solve. I'm an intern. I'm saying my team. Like, what are the questions we should be asking ourselves to figure okay, out? Well, like, okay, credit. Okay, yeah. yes. Okay, yes. Okay, so then I think the first question is actually a marketing question, which is there are many segments that we potentially can serve or maybe already are serving, mm -hmm. um, but we're looking for a segment that is in particularly urgent potential crisis mode because we need the customer to come toward us. And mm -hmm. so we can't afford them to kind of just keep sitting back and waiting for us to make the next move. So where do we think is a is a market that really could use our help pretty dramatically right now? Do we have a point of view about this challenge that maybe the average person wouldn't? And, and maybe an inside person inside the company wouldn't because it, it's so counter counter to the to the standard operating procedure of the company. Mm -hmm. So even if you had the idea, they wouldn't want to surface it because it would be kind of controversial and potentially politically dangerous. So you, know, so you want to do that. And then you want to test drive that with, with some people that you're friendly. You know, people say, you know, we're thinking about going pretty hard on this problem. Right. Do you think that's a good idea? What, what do you think? You're asking and, internally, internally or externally when you ask that? I think, I think initially, initially, I think after you do it internally, I think you you got to get somebody outside your own company, right, but sure. probably not your, your your target customer. So somebody that can give you a perspective. Got it. Got it. Just the, so then you, you go ahead. No, after you. After. Okay. So then, so then I think you want to. Then I think you package the provocation in a provocative communication, and that communication can be something like, for example, you want to get a meeting with an executive. Well, you often need to get a referral to get that meeting. So you actually, the friendly person might be a person who has a relationship with a target executive and a relationship with you, or maybe your CEO, maybe not you personally, but somebody in the company. And then you send an email to them saying, look, we're thinking of sending this paragraph mm -hmm. and presenting this idea to this target executive. First of all, do you think it's a good idea? Right. If you do, can you forward this to the, our target executive, because your email gets through their filter, but mine doesn't. Right. And then, and then it, we can set up the, the meeting, and then that 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 has that creates a, the right environment for the meeting. Because, and then the other thing about it is, when you have that meeting, you bring your big gun to that meeting. Because in normal sales, you save your big gun for the end. Mm -hmm. Right. But in provocation-based selling, you actually fire your big gun at the beginning oh, to get the meeting. Interesting. Interesting. So a couple of quick things that you brought up that hadn't dawned on me before, but I'm just even thinking, so you, even your latest book and some of your thinking, one of the things you said is you're bringing up these ideas, these critical issues, and you're brainstorming in, internally. And I think one of the things you said, watch out for the political, that was more internal to your own company. I could see if you're a little bit bigger company or a little further along, you could almost get into an innovator's dilemma when you think about the critical issues. Hey, this is an important issue. Yeah. So when if you're a big company right now and you don't have venture capital, so basically your core economic engine, even though it's sputtering, that is your source of fuel, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but you but I think what you have to say is we're playing defense mm -hmm. in our core business. We're trying, we're triaging it, we're protecting it, we're we're doing everything we can to to hold on to it. We're trying to do minimize attrition, minimize churns, maximize retention, all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And, and, and but that's not that's not going to create any new any new energy. That's, that's you're playing defense. So what I would do is I would take a separate team and say, guys, and, and I would only target the market segment that we think is most productive to target. Mm -hmm. But there I would, I would free those guys up to say, I want you to 
I want you to take risk in these accounts to see if we can't take it to this new level. And, and it's a risk because when you come into that new account, if you have an established relationship there, the established relationship might be saying, well, wait a minute, what about me? I mean, you're, you're going over my head or you're going around me or it's a different problem. And, and so you have to take those, those issues seriously. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So let's keep going. I appreciated hearing that. So we talked about identifying the critical issues. How do you formulate that unique point of view, your provocation around these high impact issues? Just one more time. Is it a brain? I think part of what makes it unique is you actually look at it through the lens of your product. If sure. we look at this problem through our lens, does it look any different? Mm-hmm. And and I think the answer, if you're going to be, for the, for the target, it's got to be yes, it does. It looks very different. Right. And then you say, okay, now how can I communicate that different point of view to the customer in a way that allows them to sort of provisionally try it on for size, right. kind of look at it through our lens, mm-hmm. and then see if they want to proceed? Because you do need to get a, a diagnostic effort going at some point for people to go. Well, if I'm going to make this big of a change, I'm not just going to do it based on one meeting. So how do I investigate it? How do I build a proposal? How do I pull it together? But you would like to do that with a joint help of insiders from the target customer, as well as your own best and brightest. Hmm. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right, let me weave in some answers, by the way, from our earlier question, and then we'll keep moving through. Um, So we had asked the question a little bit earlier, how has your sales team adjusted your sales strategy? So we just asked for people to comment and thank you for the people that did. Um, people started doing more relationship-based selling. Um, there were rethinking who our customers are was another set of answers. And then a, it seemed a group of them were also less dials, more conversations, less dials, less measurements, I guess KPI kind of things, more conversations through LinkedIn were some of the answers for how they're adjusting. So just to keep that and weave that well, in. Well, let me, I want to make a point about that because yeah. I think they're doing something important. Yeah. Normally in sales, it's a very performance-driven culture, right? And and basically, we got to hit our hit our numbers and go forward. Right. In a downturn, you know that whatever numbers you set for yourself are probably not right. right. And and yes, you still need to perform at some level. So you're not you're not throwing away your performance metrics. Mm-hmm. But in many situations, you realize, okay, in the next window of time, I'm not going to close a sale. But this is a highly valuable customer or a highly valuable prospect. Mm-hmm. And so I want to. Th- for, for the sh- in short term, instead of focusing exclusively on performance, mm-hmm. I want to think about the relationship between performance and power, and particularly soft power, which is kind of like relationship capital. And we talk about an idea called strategic acts of generosity, where you wow. say, if there's something I give away, yeah. my time or whatever, that will allow the, you know, me to build relationship points mm-hmm. with this customer, and 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 have a begin to earn the right to become a trusted advisor, and right. that takes time. But right. that that that's I think important. We see that too. It's when the shit hits the fan that you can earn your stripes, right? Paying it forward. It's when everything is going against everyone, then you can stand up and say, "How can I help?" and actually deliver, like what you're talking about. And and very few people do that, right? Everybody's happy when everything's going well. It's when things aren't going well, and you can really help. Anybody has some, you have some amount of capital for strategic acts of generosity, no matter who you are or what your job is. Mm-hmm. What we tend to realize after the fact is, damn, I could have done a lot more, but I just, I was so worried about, what happens is people worry so much about missing their performance metrics, right. they don't think about improving their power metrics. Right. 
Interesting, interesting. Okay, so let's go a little further. So we've talked about things. How do you identify critical issues, come up with provocations? How do you get that sales and marketing departments? How do you adapt them to formulate the provocations? I'm just even thinking structurally. Let's say I've got my sales team and my marketing team, and a lot of people confuse, you know, I'm VP sales and marketing. That means you're head of sales. But how, how do you structure? It, it, it's important. It, it is important. Well, so first of all, uh, think about uh, in a provocation-based selling uh, or in any market segmentation-based strategy, you you actually have a set of named accounts. If I'm thinking B2B primarily, yeah. uh, named accounts in the market segment, mm -hmm. and you have a set of target executives. Now, the second thing though is, you know, mo most salespeople are trained. Well, I want to go in. I want to give a presentation. I want to give a demo. Right. But no, you don't, and no, you don't. So, so, so we often say, don't even bring a computer to the first meeting, wow. and for God's sake, don't give a demo. Right. Because the point is, you 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 want to establish a relationship around the problem, not around the solution. Oh, that's great. I like that. Yeah. And so, and so, and and that's I have to say, some salespeople get that immediately and are talented at it, and mm. some people wouldn't get it in twenty years, no matter how much you pounded on them. Mm. And the second group is actually quite good at selling when the wind is in their sails. So it's not like you, they're incompetent salespeople, they're incredibly competent salespeople, right. but they can't do provocation-based selling. Interesting, interesting. So what do you do? I mean, so then how do you structure things? And you some people- oh, yeah. I mean, I would create my provocation-based selling team. If I, can't afford, if I can't afford two teams, I, you know, we have a layoff. Uh, but, but what you don't want to do is have a classic closing salesperson try to run this provocation-based effort that doesn't I work i see i see okay cool let's keep going a few if you have a little bit more time a little bit further like so how and when do you deliver the provocation you know is it i'm thinking about you know got sd you know if you if you talk like startups that are mid-stage and they're you know i've got sdrs i've got aes i got oh, who delivers what when do i deliver the message is it my first call is it my email message when when do i deliver the message I think you hint, you're building toward the first meeting with the ex target executive where you bring your most senior executive or your expert in this process, whoever it is. Mm -hmm. And at that meeting, that is the meeting. That's where you lodge the provocation, mm -hmm. meaning, and basically what you're doing is it, you, you're, you're, you're proposing it as a hypothesis, mm -hmm. and then you're probing your executive person to say, are you buying into this process? hypothesis do you see this in your own company mm -hmm. if you don't what do you see are we missing something you know and, and what will happen is one of here are typical outcomes one is holy crap of course we're seeing this thing and and i i don't believe you can do anything about it but but yes i have the problem and then, then you can move to okay well let's let me present let me show you what it looks like through our lens you're still not selling anything mm -hmm. you're just trying to create a perspective on would you allocate resources to further investigate this possibility mm -hmm. that's what you're doing during that but that's the key meeting once you get them to allocate those resources in good faith and then you can bring your team from then on now you're building a you're co-innovating to build a solution to their problem and life that's a very very powerful path to be on okay great no demo right in that first no, because the problem is the demo is that's like going to a doctor and saying, I have this problem. He says, well, let me show you a video of the operations I give. It's right. like, you know, I don't think I want to see your video. No, I want to. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so that's it over. Oh, one, a couple other questions that's just running through my mind. You know, do you think this works equally well for hunters versus farmers, right? You, you have salespeople that are 
you know what I mean, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think it's it's a it's a version of a hunter play. It's interesting. It actually doesn't work with classic hunters or classic farmers. Mm -hmm. This is a hunter that's a different kind of hunter. Right, right. Okay, we got it. I just wanted to make sure people. Some people tuning in might not, you know, the hunter is the person that you know gets the gets the account. The the farmer is usually the land and expand the expand portion. And yeah, the, yeah. This is a this is a third party. It's interesting. It's like they're coming into a relationship with an intervention. Right. <laughs> Maybe they're a social worker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's something. Okay. Cool. Jeff, by the way, we have a lot of questions. Um, I just looked at the spreadsheet. There's quite a few. So the next question I want to ask the audience is, what new tools are you using? I'm almost thinking tech tools. What new tools are you using and are they helping? As we get those questions, those answers coming in, next question for you. How do you know, Jeff, along the way, you're doing provocative selling, what are some points along the way that you know this is working? Like, is there, are there intermediate points, like even in an individual customer, I'm, I'm not thinking the overall, what the provocations are, but okay, I'm getting some signal this is working or not working. How do I know to course correct? Well, so so the the first signal and the most important signal is did the executive sponsor agree to sponsor the second kind of if you will this this investigatory move? Mm -hmm. Then, as you're doing that, you need to be able to stay close to the problem as it's being experienced in the customer's site, as opposed to trying to quickly migrate to something that you already have on the shelf. So the success signals are. We're getting closer and closer to the problem. We see that what we call trapped value. So the trapped value is what you're going to release. This is what your new approach is going to release. Mm -hmm. And so where's the trapped value? This is like precision bombing. I want to put our offer right on top of that target. So getting smarter and smarter about that. And also building relationship capital with the process owning team. Mm -hmm. So the process owning team often initially is threatened by you. Because you know they're running the old process way, the old way. But if you can build, bring them onto the boat. Say, no, 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 no. This is your process, not mine. It's yours. But what starts happening is the proposal starts being being more and more their proposal rather than your proposal. Wow. And that's like okay, now, now, now we're in good shape. Okay, so so along that is we're getting towards the end here, and still I know a lot of juicy tidbits you could share. What are two of the three, two to three of the biggest tricks to getting this right? Like if you sit there and think, God, there's just just do these two things correctly. And maybe we've already talked about it. It's like get the right provocation, talk to the executive. Is is there more to that if you had to boil it down? Yeah, I, I think I think the one thing I would say is spend 80% of your time on digging deeper into the customer's problem and getting closer and closer to it, and 20% of your time on your solution and yourself and your company, what you have to offer. Most people invert that. Most right. people want to talk about, you know, what, here's what we have to offer, here's what I can buy, whatever. That's not, the, that's not the, 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 the key to success here. Got it. And then on the mistake side, and maybe it's the flip side of what you just said. It, it's like if you, at some point, if you're doing it late, project you'll probably get some kind of a sale but it won't be what you really could have gotten and if you do it early you'll just get kicked out and then, get, you won't get that it's worse than that you'll get kind of a slow roll so you'll spend more time in the account but you will never close anything any other big mistakes you see when people try to implement this like oh god i hope they didn't do that because they the, the one or two screw ups uh, discounting. But if you've got a good provocation you should not be discounting the price because it's a little bit like saying you know, you need heart surgery, and right. I have this coupon right. for nine ninety nine. You can get it on Saturdays. Right, right. It's not the right message. <laughs> got it, 
Got it. That was that was that was great. Okay. Um, the answer three: a few of the tools people are using that they've been leveraging right now to try to help break through using more Crunchbase and AngelList. I guess that's more for for talking to investors. Some people said Seamless.ai, HubSpot, Zoom, Slack, different tools that they're using at these times to communicate. So, uh, Jeff, what would you? And then we're going to open it up for audience questions. Any tech tools or software that you recommend at this time? You know, it's hard to get physical. I'm not playing golf, right? Yeah. So, you know, you know, Zoom, Salesforce, HubSpot. Well, so, so yeah. So I mean, so I think um, I think Zoom is is is, is the game changer, right. uh, or a Zoom-like facility. But I but I think Zoom is was has reset the bar pretty dramatically, and it's pretty exciting to see. It's the actual soft skill. It's not so much the tools, although you know Slack and all these things. But we don't know how to manage digitally. I mean, like, how do you give a performance management digitally? How do you interview somebody digitally? How do you build a program coalition digitally? I think we're making them up as we go along. And by the way, I think some people are doing a great job. Mm -hmm. So I hope that they're capturing some of the learnings because we're going to want to package these up and resell them when this thing is, you know, uh, when the storm passes. There's a hell of an opportunity here to take, to make digital transformation real for the rest of the world. Okay, cool, cool. We're going to get to audience questions in a second. Are you good for about another 10 minutes or so? Yep, yeah, let's do it. Okay, some audience questions. First question we have is, can I do this effectively, provocative-based selling, I guess, if not face-to-face, -face, like we are now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so it's, it's harder. Um, again, the, the referral, it's a Zoom meeting. Uh, I think you probably have to do more with text in advance, so you send you send it in advance and say, "Look, this is what we're going to talk about uh, yeah. going forward." And and yeah, it really would. I mean, this is one. If you ever could do one in person, you would normally want to do it in person. Sure. So we've never, you know, this is not proven through over Zoom. This has been proven number numerous times in person, but this is going to be our first digital digital era. Well, yeah, you don't have a choice, right? So, all right. Exactly. What do you want to you wanna play solitaire? Go ahead, play solitaire. Oh, yeah, exactly. Next question. Uh, uh, how do I make sure I don't piss people off? I guess like what you had said, like sometimes you have to go over people's head. How do you do this and not piss people off? Well, I think there's two things. Uh, so first of all, I, and there are two different people you could be pissing off, the economic buyer or the process owner. Mm -hmm. So let's start the economic buyer. Look, you're, you're going to provoke, which means you're going to what part, implicit in your message is you're doing something wrong today. And by the way, you are endorsing your company doing something wrong today. So yeah. that's, that, that's a potentially piss off message. Now, you want to deliver that message with, look, we're looking at it through a different lens. You should look through the lens, too, and see if you come to the same conclusion. Um, you're, it's your business, not my business. You know your business a hell of a lot better than I know your business. But we have this interesting point of view to look at. And if you do it with enough humility and empathy, but at the same time hold hold their feet to the fire on this problem, mm -hmm. that that's an art. And 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 sometimes they could say, you know, get out of my office. Okay, <laughs> which all right, well, nice try. Yeah. Uh, the other person that you worry about is the process owner, particularly if you've had a, an established relationship with that process mm -hmm. owner, where you want to say, look, I don't want to disenfranchise you, and 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 we have this opportunity to do this. But you can't let them gatekeep your way to the executives. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways you can get around that is, well, you know, I, 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 I would never have gone over your head, but my CEO sent an email to your C and then they called me in and I had to go do it. I mean, you, you lie. 
basic. Right. But, but nah, yeah. I know. Jeffrey Moore told me. What can I do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm doing my best and then whatever. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Next question. Let's we'll keep burning through these. Um, when in the sales life cycle do you use this? Is it is it your initial outreach? Is it and you were saying it might be mostly for existing customers, but again. It's actually a good graphic in the article where the traditional sales cycle sort of builds over a slow build and it kind of crescendos at the close. Mm -hmm. The provocation-based sales cycle actually peaks at the beginning mm -hmm. where basically what you try to do is create that sense of urgency and excitement around the possibility that there's another way. Like if I told you there's a drug or a vaccine for COVID-19, you'd, you'd be pretty damn interested. Right? Yeah. And, and, and so therefore it actually shortens the sales cycle. You don't want to shorten the sales cycle by cutting short the diagnosis prescription part of the proposal development. You want to make sure that that gets really, really deep into the problem so that you can create a radiating reference out of this thing at the end and uh, and going forward. But it's a, you shoot your guns early and, and, and then kind of ride, take it downhill from that. Next question is, and appreciate, by the way, I have about five more questions. Appreciate all the audience questions. Who in the sales organization should be using this? The VP, the SDR? AEs, I think you kind of answered that. Like you said, big. This is a big guns approach. Yeah. I, I, so look, the SDRs and the AEs and the if folks can can lay the groundwork. It's a little bit like you know when they sign a big treaty between two heads of state. There's all those people that you know do all the meetings ahead of time and they they go back and forth and iron out the details. But so the SDR can do. Well, first of all, the marketing group can can package the provocation as a as a script. Mm -hmm. You can then, but but the BDR is not trying to get. The executive. The BDR would reach out to somebody who's a process owner saying, you know, we're having conversations with people around this. Is this a conversation you think would be interesting in your company? Whatever. So you can do that. If you, that's one possibility. The AE can also do that. Mm -hmm. But the actual meeting, the, 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 the deal. So if I, if I have to do it digitally and I'm the, I might be the AE and I'm getting, I finally got this executive. I want a third person on that video conference who's my expert. Got it. And I'm, and I'm, I'm just going to be the dumb salesperson. Now look, I, I, this is this new idea. It's pretty exciting. I'm going to let our experts talk to you about it. And then if we get a, if we get excitement, then the next step is that he should, he or she should bring their expert to talk to our expert, and hopefully they'll attach like fax modems used to attach to each other. <laughs> I was thinking of the Hayes modem and the, the Lincoln. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Next question coming up. Um, how does getting creative with pricing and deal points fit in? So okay. what you want to do is you want to heavily load this thing with services. Okay. And so as a result, normally in a in a normal market, you discount services to keep your product margins up. Right. Actually, in this situation, you reverse it. But you actually give your product away because right. you want to get a radiating reference and you want to have a good price point. You And the person wants to spend money, right. but they want to spend money to get the very, very best. It's like I want to spend money to get the executive chef. Right. And so that's the idea behind it. Well, just to, to push back a little bit on that, the only challenge with that from what you said is, you know, so at the end of the day, we're a venture capital firm, right? So when we see a services-based company versus a high-profit SaaS company like in the VC firms that you've been a part of, you know, you love that great SaaS revenue. You don't want to see the services revenue. Are you finding investors are like revenue? Just get revenue. It's well, if, if they are, they're making a mistake in a downturn because right. because you because a you're not going to. So so that everybody gets that the SaaS model is the model that we want to mature into. Sure. 
But when you're trying to create new capital with someone, um, the, the SaaS module is a, gra- is a, is a land and expand, right? Sure. It's, it's, a, it's a gradual extension. Mm-hmm. This is a crisis. We don't want to land and expand. We want to intervene. Right. And intervention is a services-led effort. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let's go to the next question from Michael Bertoni. Michael, thanks for asking it. What, in your opinion, are the top three things salespeople need to be doing right now? Michael, well, I, I think basically I would start, if I were a sales leader, I would say, look, you, you still have to, you know, do your best to make whatever number you're going to make. I mean, that, that, that's still, that's job one. And it's, it's, you're doing triage mm-hmm. and, and it's not going to be easy, but that's got to be job one. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have extra time, A, because you're working from home and B, because you're not going to get as much pipe traffic as you want. Yeah. So with that discretionary time, I would want, I would want to say, I wouldn't want you to track what I'm going to call your non-billable hours. I used to be a consultant. So in a consultancy, they worry about your billable hours. But here's the deal. To qualify as a non-billable hour, you have to be in conversation with a customer. Hmm. And by the way, I'm going to award points. I don't know what they're going to be worth. It's like like mileage plus miles. But I'm going to award points for your non-billable hours. And I'm going to, I'm going to find some reward to give you at some point. Right. It's based on the... Because what you're doing is you're building soft power and relationship capital that we can use downstream. And that's the that's what I would be doing in my discretionary time. Okay, cool. And then it's 20,000 points to travel cross country. Never mind, different thing. Okay, yeah. no one's traveling. Okay. You know, I mean, the truth is, you know, I mean, there's something we can give. I'm sure there's something. Come on. Okay, next question from Edgar David Arana. Is it perceived as a negative to lead with marketing material that states, COVID-19 is fostering X in your industry. Is that, I guess, is that the provocation? Yeah, I, I, I think I think that that is, um, you have to be careful. It's like the universal provocation. Yeah, yeah. And, and people, people have learned to say, well, I will filter out the universal provocation. Right. What I need for you to say is, you know, COVID-19 has forced us all to work from home. Banks who are trying to work from home have these issues. Here, Bob, Bob, in other words, you, you got you to step it down to eventually get to a use case right. that can penetrate that particular situation, you know, in a precise way. By the way, that banking example was really good. I don't think this is the first time you've done this, right? <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, next question from Charlie James. Thanks, Charlie, for asking. Do you have assessments or characteristics to look for when hiring salespeople who can do provocative-based sales? That's cool. Yeah, I, I, yes. It's, it, 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 I think what you're looking for, it, it's interesting because these people may not be great salespeople in the more traditional, you know, uh, qualify and close uh, model. Mm-hmm. Um, they have intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. They, they are good at they are good at doing um, probing dialogue, uh, diagnostic prescriptive dialogues. Right. Um, and, and and they can put themselves in the customer's seat and mm-hmm. creatively imagine both problems and solutions. Right. Uh, so and, and then and they're able to build a relationship of trust uh, over time by just essentially being trustworthy in the way they communicate right. uh, and the expectations they set and then the expectations that they meet. Right. Okay. Cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Next next question. Three more. AJ Jotwani. AJ, thanks for your question. He asked, can you provide some real life examples for provocative selling? Are there one or two you can think of up your head? Well, sure. Yeah. There are some, to be fair, there's some way back in the day in the article. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so for example, right now, uh, if you're, if you're, say, 
any, any of these digital transformation folks, the healthcare system right now is, is happening right now. So people are saying, look, you need to have some way to handle your caseload. So we're invested in a company called HealthTap. So HealthTap just said, we've set up a free service where you can have video-based COVID-19 diagnostics for free. Mm-hmm. And so now that's obviously an attempt to create a relationship of trust with, with a healthcare provider, yeah. which would allow, or, 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 or frankly, the enterprise who might want to deploy the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that'd be an example of saying, look, you can't handle this with your existing system. Mm-hmm. You, you know damn well you can't. You can't right. even get masks for your distance system, for God's sake. Right. So, so, so here's a different lens to look at that problem through. Right. It's interesting you bring that up, by the way. So Dream It, you know, one of the verticals we focus on is health tech, and we've been doing it for six or seven years and had 130 companies that, are, that have gone through Dream It and part of our portfolio. We probably have a dozen today that have 19 solutions in use right now. And it's really interesting. So we're talking to a lot of, we have about 30 healthcare partners and providers around the United States that we're actively sending them information. These are frontline companies that are in the fight already. How can they help? And you don't need much provoking. The only provoking you need there is they are so freaking busy and so distracted for all the right reasons. Totally. You've got to, right, at least right now in these couple of weeks, you really need to hit it with, it's all they're focused on. And, and, and so, and I think the key, this is, this is an important point about provocation-based selling. Yeah. In order to cut through that, that noise, or it's not just noise, it's, it's, just the, it's just the contention for attention, sure. is you've got to really focus on, and this is exactly what we can do now. So is that a, given the 25 things that COVID-19 has created to change your priorities, right. where does this one fit? Because if it's not one of the top three, probably you and I would be better talking to other people right now. Right. Just interesting, just because you also mentioned healthcare. Even when we're doing that, we're looking at the Dreamit companies that um, electronic medical record system integration, don't need it. Implementation time has to be measured in hours, not weeks. You know, well, we need a, a, a one month integration with Epic, gone. You know, it's like for what people are going to do right now, it's got to be an amazing yeah. solution and you can turn it on like that. Um, or have companies that have that ability. Anyway, so next question from Nikhil Gupta. Um, Nikhil asks, how do sales folks quickly sense urgency with customers when time is short? Yeah, I think what you do, your, your, your provocation either registers as urgent or doesn't. And you want to actually let the customer prospect to you their level of urgency you don't want to inject urgency into them which is going to go away when you leave right because you need that urgency to stay there to be persistent in order to drive through the sales cycle so you're actually kind of qualifying your customer on this business of urgency you need to create the vision of urgency you need to you need to reframe their vision so that they see what you think that they should see but if they then do not respond to that as a sense of urgency that actually disqualifies the customer from the sales cycle Got it. Got it. Last question states, when you state that digital transformation is the keystone, what are the primary ways you suggest for provocative sales professionals for developing the necessary soft skills? Yeah, I mean, in the short term, you you just have to qual- you have to hire for them. You have to you have to just or select for them. We're not going to be able to develop the skills in time to do to do that. Right. Um, what I do think is important, and and because I I spend a bunch of time. Salesforce. They have this thing called Trailhead, right. and they're very interested in reskilling the workforce. And everybody's talking about reskilling the workforce, and they're thinking about. It, most people think about it like, did they learn the technical tool? Do they have they can they run the this or that? 
What I'm realizing is in this new digital world, if this is a forecast of what the world's going to look like in a digitally transformed landscape, we don't know how to manage virtually digitally. Right. We know how to use it as a kind of a 5% of management. Right. But what, what do you, how do you win this 95% of management? Right. And, and all of our processes, whether it's hiring, firing, counseling, coaching, selling, servicing, wh whatever it is, we've always done it in person. Right. So, so I think there's a bunch of there's going to be an entire curriculum there to, to to learn. For right now, you need people who are we say unconsciously competent. Right. right? We'll, we'll eventually we'll try to get conscious competence, but right now we need the people that are unconsciously competent. In that digital transformation, by the way, I saw an article yesterday, last night, this morning. It all blurs together at the moment. And, but it was talking about Zoom and it was talking about HR issues. And it said that this one startup had to lay off several hundred people. So they opened up a Zoom room, invited everybody in and laid off several hundred people all at once over Zoom. It was like, oh my God. I mean, that's such a hard thing to do anyway. Horrible. Right, exactly. So, so, how should, so then the question would be, and by the way, we'll make a hundred mistakes in the next hundred days for sure. But hopefully we'll capture the mistakes and we'll figure out, well, what is the protocol and how would you do that? Right, right. So by the way, that last question was from Andrew Klippenhoff. Okay, on that cheery note, no, that was great. Appreciate it again. Jeffrey, you know, this is all about provocative selling. If you haven't read the article, Google or go to dreamit.com slash live or Google HBR provocative selling or you can reach out to Jeffrey. It's really, really helpful. It's a great technique. I've used it myself. Jeffrey, really, or Jeff, sorry, I really, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for making the time for us today. And uh, stay safe, stay well, wash your hands, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Steve, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Good to interact with the people on the, on the call. Thanks. Thanks so much. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.